0: And I just remember when we walked onto the dock and we saw the boat. I was expecting one of those big car ferries like we have in Washington State. Yeah. You, <laughs> you. So the Voyager 2 is a 65 foot aluminum passenger vessel that carries a forty-six people. Okay, so literally I was expecting like one that would carry hundreds of people. It was almost like what's the Gilligan's Island boat? The minnow? The minnow. It was yes, almost like we absolutely. were getting on we the minnow. Getting no, on the for a three-hour
1: cruise. Yeah, because you can't see the island once you take <laughs> off. You're just you're just going off into the wild blue yonder.
0: <laughs> this is the Dear Bob and Sue Podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith.
1: And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're taking you to the least visited national park in the lower 48, Isle Royal, located in the middle of Lake Superior.
0: Access to Isle Royal is only by boat or seaplane. And once you've arrived, you'll find rugged shorelines, forests, hiking trails, and more than 400 islands to explore by boat.
1: We'll talk about some of the ways to get to Isle Royal. What to do once you're there, where to stay, when to go, and how many days to spend there.
0: Plus, we've got a fascinating history channel, Animal Planet, and more coming up next. I see you're wearing your new Sinclair Dinosaur hat that I got you for Christmas.
1: I love my Sinclair Dinosaur hat.
0: (laughs) It looks really good. Now I kind of want one, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if if I start smelling hair product uh, (laughs) scents or perfume... on on my Sinclair hat, I will know that you <laughs> borrowed it.
0: <laughs> so we were on a road trip, I think over the summer, and we stop at the Sinclair gas stations a lot, you know, on a road trip to fill up. And you were in some kind of angst because you wanted to buy a hat with the with the dinosaur on it and you couldn't find it or something to that effect. I just remember hearing a lot about that in in the car. <laughs>
1: Well, we stopped at a Sinclair station. I saw the hat I wanted. I really wanted it, but we were in a hurry, and so I didn't. uh, I didn't buy it. We just got gas and got out of there. And I thought, well, I'll just get it at the next Sinclair station that we come to, and I couldn't find it anywhere. It didn't exist. Like I don't know if that hat was just super popular and was sold out, or just one gas station, but. Anyway, I like the Sinclair logo and the dinosaur. I have fond memories of Sinclair when I was a kid.
0: Oh, I know. I remember too on road trips with my family when I was a girl stopping at the Sinclair gas stations and that the green dinosaur that was out in front, right. we would right. always stop and have to pet it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I found your hat online, Sinclair actually has a website where they sell these products, different, you know, t shirts and stuff with that, with the green dinosaur on it. So when I found it, there was a little history on it. Oh, my God.
1: Here, here we go. Not, we're, not. We are 1 minute 58 seconds into this episode and we're No,
0: no, no. you'll like this. Okay. You'll like this because I thought this was fascinating. So Sinclair's advertising department started using the dinosaurs in their marketing back in 1930. Almost 100 years ago. Yeah, the
1: dinosaurs were actually still around back then. (laughs) (laughs) They had a few, uh, and each gas station had a couple of dinosaurs live in the back.
0: Right, right. Now, originally in their marketing campaign, they had like a dozen different dinosaurs, but it was the beloved Apatosaurus. He's the one that captured the hearts of Americans. And his name is, well, we call him Dino, but they say on the website the actual pronunciation of the dinosaur is Dino. Well,
1: Dino makes more sense Mm -hmm. because he's a dinosaur, right? But I prefer the Flintstone pronunciation. (laughs) So we're going to call him Dino. I've always called him Dino.
0: I know you have. And I like (laughs) the
1: fact that all the gas stations now have a big one, like a six foot long... Dino out in front of the station. And and some stations actually have two. I've seen this. I don't know where they scored an extra Dino statue.
0: So those are fiberglass. They started putting those out in front of the gas stations in the early 1960s, which is why we started seeing them when we were younger and going on road trips with our families. But now I guess the thing that people do is... They take their photo in front of the uh, dino, you know, the big dino statue. That's a thing. Like they do it every time.
1: Yeah. We've actually seen people do this. Mm-hmm. We have not stooped so low as to do this. <laughs> I, just, I just take picture of it just uh, without anything else obstructing the, the image, right? I, I just want a pure dino image.
0: No, I think we're missing the boat here. We need to be in the photo, just like in our park photos. You know, we could set the Cheez-It box on the hood of the truck with our little camera propped up, get our photo. I think we've been missing out. This is like a whole new thing we could do.
1: Well, Sinclair needs to start sending the checks. <laughs> we, we're, we're not getting anything from the Cheez-It folks. <laughs> now we're not getting anything from the Sinclair folks. We, we are just Or the, the History Channel people. Like, come
0: on, Right, we're going to start making up our own products. <laughs> anyway, if you follow us on social media and you see photos of Matt with his Sinclair Dino hat on, you will know the origin of the story because it seems like you wear that hat almost every day now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to wear it out. That's uh, that's what I'm worried about when I get a hat that I really love. Then I wear it every day and, and three months later, it's beyond uh, wearable anymore. And so I don't know. We'll have to find a source for the Dino hats.
0: Yeah. I'll get some extra hats for your birthday. All right. All right. So speaking of mispronouncing names, should we move on to our main topic, Isle (laughs) Royale?
1: Isle (laughs) Royale. Back when we started going to all the national parks, for a good year, I think, we... Kept calling this one Isle Royale.
0: (laughs) It's fancy.
1: (laughs) I think we said that many, many times in front of a lot of people. Yes. And finally, somebody very kindly uh, corrected the pronunciation. It's Isle Royale, although I'd like Royale.
0: Well, yes. And it has an E on the end. Royale has an E on the end. What's with the E? Right. So technically, that is Royale. Yeah, it is. I'd like.
1: Isle Royale, better, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm not the pronunciation police, as we all know.
0: No, no, you're not. Yeah, a lot of people lately have asked us to do an episode on Isle Royale. I guess a lot of people might be planning trips for the summer or the following summer, so we're gonna chat about some of the things we did and our impressions. Now, we went, our trip was at the end of August, and we stayed for three nights at Rock Harbor Lodge.
1: Yeah, we had just gotten back from a trip to Alaska, and so kind of felt like we were going into winter when we were in Alaska in August. Then we came back, and it was summer again, so uh, (laughs) Isle Royale was our next planned stop. We went up there, and uh, it was a... It was an interesting trip, wasn't it?
0: It was. It's such a unique park. Now, Isle Royale is one of the least visited, most remote parks now. There are no roads on the island. To get there, you either have to fly in or boat in. In 2021, Isle Royale had a little over 20,000 visitors. So that is, that's a pretty low number for sure.
1: Yeah, the island is on Lake Superior, and it's part of the state of Michigan. So you're in Michigan when you're on the island. And it's not just the one big island. There's as many as what 450 small, little, tiny islands yeah. in a, in and around it. So yeah, it's it's an interesting place.
0: Now, Isle Royale, which is the big the big island, it's 45 miles long and about nine miles wide at its widest point, and it covers an area of 209 square miles.
1: Yeah, it's long and skinny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Now it's closed in the winter. I think it's. Is this the only national park that is closed part of the year? Yes. Yeah, it's closed from November 1st to about April 15th. And the reason why is it's treacherous to get there in the winter. Uh, I mean, you have to cross Lake Superior to get there. And it's also, there's extreme weather up there. Right. And the park headquarters, all the facilities are closed. And for the winter months, the headquarters are in Houghton, Michigan, yeah, right. on, on the mainland.
0: Yeah, the island just shuts down, I guess. Yeah. When you look at Isle Royale, there are two developed areas. There is Windigo and there is Rock Harbor, and those are on opposite sides of the island. So do you want to talk about Windigo first?
1: Windigo is on the southwestern end of the island. Uh, there's a dock there. There's a visitor center a little store in marina. There's also a campground. Uh, when we took the boat from Minnesota over, that was our first stop. We stopped there. And then some of the people on the boat we were on, that they got off. It's a jumping off point for backpackers. Some people like backpacking from Windigo area, the southwestern part of the island, over to the other end of the island, uh, Rock Harbor. So this is kind of where you would start and so you backpacking across the island.
0: So Windigo is the place to go if you want to camp or backpack. Now, there is no lodge there. There are two Windigo camper cabins. Um, I guess these are an alternative to tent camping. So they have some furniture in these cabins, and they have electricity, but they do not have any indoor plumbing. And these are rented through the Rock Harbor Lodge, which we're going to talk about in a second. And also at Wendigo, there are shower and laundry facilities available for those who have been camping and backpacking.
1: Right. So that's the southwestern end of the island. Now on the northeastern end is Rock Harbor. And there's also a visitor center there. There's also a lodge, which is where we stayed. It is a restaurant and a bar. There's also a trading post there. And they have uh, showers and laundry facilities over there.
0: Right. And this is the more developed area of the two. And this is where the boats, um, the big boats from Michigan come in and drop visitors off. So, so we'll talk briefly about how to get there. It's a little confusing <laughs> because there are many options and they all run on different days. As you said, Matt, we went from the Minnesota side. And the reason we chose that is because we were also visiting um, Voyagers National Park in Minnesota. So we wanted to do both parks on one trip. And we took the Voyager 2 out of Grand Portage, Minnesota.
1: Yeah, and that one, when we took it, it left at 7.30 a.m. So you're, it's kind of an all-day thing. And it arrived at Rock Harbor at 3 p.m. Now, if you look on a map, you wouldn't think that the boat would take that long to get there because it's really not that much water that you're covering, although... You get to Wendigo fairly quick, but then the boat has to sail all the way around the island. And that's that's kind of a a slow go,
0: right? And it does make other stops to drop backpackers and campers off. So there are multiple stops, which was kind of nice, because it was like we got the scenic tour by boat. But I remember we stayed in a hotel the night before in Grand Portage since we had an early sailing. And I just remember when we walked onto the dock, and we saw the boat, which is the, the Voyager 2. I was expecting one of those those big car ferries like we have in Washington state. Yeah, you,
1: you, you were uh, looking for the galley. I
0: was. Where's
1: the clam chatter? And what types of beer do you have on tap? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I could see you looking for. There was no galley, right? Okay, so first of all, there's no galley, and you were looking for. Is there any food on this boat? And I think the captain kind of noticed that you were poking around, and he pushed a cardboard box over in your direction, and in it had I think two Snickers and uh, a granola bar. <laughs> and he's like, "There you go." That's
0: right. <laughs> that was, and, and he had a he had a Mister Coffee coffee machine, and he said, "Help yourself to my coffee." <laughs> But here's the thing that so the Voyager 2 is a 65 foot aluminum passenger vessel that carries a 46 people. Okay, so literally, I was expecting like one that would carry hundreds of people. It was almost like what's the Gilligan's Island boat, the minnow? The minnow. It was yes, almost like we absolutely. were, getting on, we were the getting on the minnow for the minnow. a three hour cruise.
1: Yeah, because you can't see the <laughs> island once you take <laughs> off. You're just you're just going off into the wild blue yonder. <laughs> (laughs) I immediately took a Dramamine because I I knew that we were on the minnow and we were sailing off into, um, you know, Lake Superior. And then I think I passed out because Dramamine makes me sleepy.
0: I think you slept the whole way. And, you know, this boat also delivers mail to the island. It is like a mail boat. So here's the thing. It was perfectly fine. But just know this, know all this before you go. So you're not expecting something different like we were. I mean, I think we were like sitting on these little wooden benches inside. There's a little outside part you can go to if the weather's nice. But yeah, it was very, very small. Also on these big Washington State ferries, usually there are long benches with tables where we play cards and games and read. There's none of that.
1: (laughs) No puzzles. We didn't have a puzzle. I was asleep, so I didn't care. But, but yeah, so that's that's what it's it's like on that boat, which is perfectly fine. You just have to have the right expectations.
0: Right. And as you said, Matt, we stopped first at Windigo. I think that was about a two-hour sailing. We got off at Wendigo for a half an hour. The ranger there, the park ranger, gives a spiel to all the people about, you know, the, the rules on the island and things like that. And then after a half hour, after we poked around for a little bit, we got back on and made the rust of the sailing around. Now one other option also from Grand Portage, Minnesota, if you just want to do a day trip, if you don't have time to spend the night, they have a different boat, the Sea Hunter 3, and that goes back and forth just to Windigo. It doesn't go around to Rock Harbor. So it departs at 830. It gets to the island around 10. And then you have about four hours on the island where you can do some short hikes, you can shop in the little store there, all that kind of stuff before you get back on the boat and go back to Grand Portage. So, um, So that's an option for people who don't want to spend the night.
1: Now, if you want a faster boat, you can depart from Michigan, the UP, the Upper Peninsula. And there are two different towns that have boats sailing to Isle Royale. One of them leaves from Copper Harbor, or as they say, Cappahaba. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the Isle Royale Queen 4. Is it the Isle Ro- See, I would call it the Isle Royale
0: Queen <laughs> 4.
1: It's 100 feet long. Uh-huh. It holds 85 passengers. It leaves 8 a.m., but not every day.
0: Right. And that's what's kind of confusing about all of these boat options we're going to talk about. You need to get on their website and look. They have their schedules posted because it's all random. One of them might go on Mondays and Thursdays and another one every day but Wednesday. And so we're not going to get into all that. But just note, none of these go every single day.
1: Well, it's not random. They have a schedule. It's it's not (laughs) like just just wake up in the Morning and say, yes, let's <laughs> sail Isle Royale Queen Four. <laughs> over to the park.
0: Okay, that's a good point. It is not that random. Way, it is not... written down it's in stone. Somewhere. We just... just
1: don't know what it is.
0: <laughs> right. It seems random to me. Uh-huh. There is also a day trip option from Copper Harbor to Rock Harbor. Um, the crossing time is about three hours and 45 minutes, and it leaves you about three hours on the island to um, to look around before you get back on the boat to go back.
1: Yeah. So that's that's a lot of sailing time. It is. In a day.
0: Right, right. It is for sure. Yeah. The other Michigan option is Houghton, Michigan, and this is the Ranger 3. Now, this, comparatively speaking, is a big boat. It's 165 feet long. So it's 100 feet longer than our little minnow from (laughs) Grand Portage, Michigan, and it carries 128 people.
1: The sailing, though. Heck, Karen, the sailing is it takes 6 hours.
0: Yeah, so it's more of a slow boat. <laughs> what are they doing for 6 hours? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I mean, I know it's a, it's a longer trip, but I mean 6 hours, come on. Yeah, yeah, it s- must step on it. It like, must
0: go pretty slowly. Yeah. Now, for any of these boats that we've mentioned, you definitely need to make advance reservations on all of these. Again, they all have websites.
1: And just know that occasionally there are delays and cancellations due to storms and rough seas.
0: We have heard that people have been on the island and are ready to go home, and they're waiting for their boat to come and pick them up, <laughs> and the boat doesn't come, <laughs> maybe for a day or two, because it's too stormy for the crossing. Yeah. so you
1: You have to have a plan B, don't you?
0: You definitely have to have a plan B. And I would say one thing that we did not do very well was take more snacks. Than oh, yeah. We <laughs> yeah.
1: We we usually eat all of, well, eat like on a car trip, we eat all of the snacks for the trip in the first 45 minutes of the car trip, right? right. But right. you do one of these where you're stuck on a boat and all you have is what's in your backpack. We don't even take enough snacks to get there.
0: We don't. <laughs> so you could take a big shopping bag of snacks. You could take a small cooler. You um, can't
1: take cooler. We saw people take coolers. Of
0: course. And we didn't do that either. Now, at both Wendigo and Rock Harbor, there is a small store where you can buy some groceries. But you might as well just think ahead and bring them yourself.
1: Yeah, and pay ten bucks for a Snickers bar. Exactly. If you get there.
0: <laughs> right. I don't know. That's that's
1: unfair. I don't know that Snickers cost ten bucks there.
0: No, probably five, five or seven, so. but not
1: seventy nine cents. No, well, like at the Sinclair to, station,
0: they have to sail them six hours across sail, Lake Superior. Matt. <laughs>
1: Snickers bar made the six hours sailing.
0: Right. Right. And especially for anyone who wants to camp or backpack then it's really key to bring extra snacks (laughs) yeah
1: yeah but there is one other way you can get to the island um well i mean the moose swim but we're not suggesting anyone swim you could take a seaplane from michigan yeah we we did not do that because we had just come off our alaska trip and we were just in a mid-air plane collision in a small plane and we were just we were not in the mood. (laughs) <laughs> to get into another small plane. And I got to say, now it's 11, 12 years later, we're still not in the mood
0: we're not. to get into
1: a small plane. But you can, you can take a plane over there, a little float plane.
0: Yes, it's much faster. I believe it's anywhere from a half an hour to 45 minutes to fly over there. Now it's also a lot more expensive. It's at least double. So check out, it's called Isle Royal Seaplanes. They have a website that gives all the information. I do remember when we were on the island and these little seaplanes would buzz above our heads. It was like we were kind of shell-shocked, remember? we would. There was
1: one that just freaked us out because he was coming in for a landing and he was maybe 100 feet over our heads. And we did. We kind of went into this post-traumatic shock uh, situation as we were hiking there. Actually, in all seriousness, that kind of surprised me. Because yeah, I hadn't realized how much of a shock that was.
0: Well, yeah, and this was like you said, right after. So yeah, we were I mean, still... it, it was
1: a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. After yeah. we were in our plane collision, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but that it would be good for you though, right? Like <laughs> if you want to take a small plane, I'm sure it'll work out. Work out fine.
0: Right. Right. Okay, Matt. Uh I guess what it's time for.
1: Uh, <laughs> is it? <laughs> Usually edit in some music. Oh, that's something. right. Yeah. I,
0: I will do that. <laughs> it is History Channel time. Okay. The human history of Isle Royal goes back thousands of years with anthropologists dating the indigenous copper mining on the island as early as 4,500 years ago.
1: But we don't have to go back (laughs) 4,500 years and explain everything that's happened in the last 4,500
0: years, Uh, do we? No, we don't. However, I just think that's fascinating. (laughs) 4,500 years ago? Yeah. I know, so I had to mention that. We should
1: probably... Bring it into the last couple centuries, okay, as quickly as possible.
0: All right. Well, just a few more sentences about that. <laughs> Most anthropologists agree that indigenous peoples first explored the island close to five thousand years ago, likely while searching for game or fishing.
1: <laughs> Go in the wrong direction here. We got five thousand years. <laughs> okay.
0: Right. For thousands of years, long before European settlers showed up, indigenous tribes. In what is now, Ontario, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan would travel up to Isle Royale for hunting, trapping, maple sugaring...
1: They went all the way to the island to get maple sugar? Yes. Seriously?
0: Yes. Fishing, plant gathering, spiritual practices, and copper mining. Copper mining was a big thing there. That is
1: fascinating. We'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, thank you for that History Channel uh, segment, Karen.
0: Okay, I'm (laughs) fast-forwarding thousands of years now, for you. In 1843, the United States officially acquired Isle Royale from the Ojibwe, You're making that up. No. Ojibwe, Indian tribe of the region. Throughout the second half of the 19th century, Isle Royale experienced much of the same copper boom that moved through the upper peninsula of Michigan. And by the early 20th century, most of the copper that could be easily removed from the island was mined and shipped off on huge freighters. So at this point elected officials in Washington and residents of northern Michigan began wondering what to do with the island. The idea of establishing a national park like Isle Royal didn't occur to anyone until around 1931 when President Herbert Hoover authorized Congress to find a prime expanse of northern wooded wilderness and make efforts to conserve it. So...
1: you should take a breath between some of your history channel sentences i'm just i'm just gonna throw that out there
0: (laughs) all right on april 3rd 1940 franklin roosevelt officially established isle royal national park also noteworthy, in 1981, the United Nations designated Isle Royale as an international biosphere reserve, giving it global scientific and educational significance. But, you know, Matt, I have to mention one more thing.
1: Okay. <laughs> I am all ears.
0: So one of the things that Isle Royale is known for is its copper mining
1: I did know this, and I I actually do have some comments to make, but I'm I'm not going to make them.
0: Okay, well, you can make them as soon as I'm done talking here. (laughs) Now, more than 1,000 mining pits attributed to the Indians have been located on Isle Royal. And recently, the Minong Mine Copper Mining District, which is part of the island, was designated a National Historic Landmark. This celebrates the significance of indigenous and historic copper mining that occurred at the Minong Mine. And just a note, Minong is the Ojibwe name for Isle Royale, and it means a good high place.
1: Well, then why is it called Isle Royale?
0: Well, that's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) The island was visited by French explorers back around 1622, and it was renamed by the French to honor their royal patrons. What's kind of surprising to me is that all these years later, it still has that same name, Isle Royale.
1: Are you suggesting they change Isle Royale to something else?
0: That's honoring French patrons. It doesn't seem to have a lot to do with a U.S. national park. Maybe they should go back to the original indigenous name, Minong National Park. What do yeah, you think? Yeah,
1: it just rolls off the tongue. it's yeah, a little I tricky. I don't have an opinion. <laughs> okay. I do not have an opinion. I'm trying to come up with an opinion, and I'm drawing a blank.
0: Okay. Well, that's it for History Channel. Now, next up... Is, is Animal Planet. Is Animal Planet. And I'm going to let you do that because the two two of the most famous animals on the island... are they,
1: okay. Like individual animals,
0: <laughs> okay. I didn't moose say that number right.
1: 162, <laughs> okay. and wolf number seven. We're going to feature those two <laughs> animals in this episode.
0: <laughs> two of the most... Important animal species are moose and wolf. Okay, let's talk about the moose first.
1: <laughs> Karen, did you know that the moose first arrived in oil? <laughs> did you know the moose first arrived on oil? <laughs> uh- <laughs> Karen, now you're messing me. Do I don't mess with you when you do History Channel. I don't. You just <laughs> did. Okay. The moose first arrived on Isle Royal in the early 1900s. And uh, how did did they get there, Karen? Well, that's a good question. Uh, (laughs) They swam. Now, I don't understand how this happens, but the moose are able to swim that far. I get that, right? They're good swimmers, apparently. But how does a moose just set off into a lake? They don't know it's a lake. It could be the ocean for all they know. And they're just going to swim in a direction? You can't see the island from the mainland. So these moose are just like getting in the water. Like how bad does your life have to be (laughs) as a moose to decide I'm just taking my chances? I'm just going to swim across this lake and hope there's something out there. Uh, So anyway. That's
0: a very deep and thoughtful question, Matt.
1: (laughs) I know. And it's also not uh, on the outline that you provided me. It's
0: really not. You you have digressed. (laughs) You're
1: going to edit all this stuff out. But Karen, since 1980, the population of the moose on the island has been as low as 500 animals and at times as high as 2,400.
0: Yes, the population has fluctuated greatly, greatly, and it's due to a couple of factors. One is um, the vegetation or lack of vegetation on the island, and the other one is uh, the wolves, their predator.
1: Right. So there's this seesaw relationship between the wolves and the moose. So the wolves are there. They're feeding on the moose. And so the the higher the moose population, the more food source there are for the wolves. And so what happens is the wolves thrive when the moose population is high. And then the wolf population goes up because there's so much food. The moose population starts to go down because they're being hunted so much and then once it gets to the point where there's so few moose that can't support the number of wolves then the wolves start starving and then their population goes down and then that causes the moose population to go back up and so it just this seesaw effect between the populations of the moose and the wolves
0: now the wolves arrived in the late 1940s and they did not swim
1: they did not and this is also uh, very very interesting there are times in history where winter is cold enough that an ice bridge forms between the island and the mainland, which allows then wolves, or for that matter, any mammal, right, to, to cross the ice bridge onto the, the island. And so wolves crossed over. This has probably been happening for thousands and thousands of years. So the wolves didn't just take off swimming like the moose. They, they crossed the ice bridge.
0: Right now, as a result of that, though, the pack that lives on the island um, has become inbred and it has developed some genetic deformities, dooming their long term survival because, of course, they are just mating with their relatives, right. so to speak. Right. And because of this, the National Park Service trapped some wolves in Minnesota, Michigan, and Canada. And they brought them all to the island. There were nineteen of them in 2018 and 2019 to interject some what diversity, so, some so, genetic yeah, diversity. Yeah,
1: yeah. More DNA in the in the pack so that they they could thrive. And then of course what happened is the wolf population increased it it actually got up to in 2022 it it got up to 28 uh and of course then as that happens the moose population decreases you know there's there's an idea in the national park service that you you let nature just be the way we found it right not not to interfere although this is a situation where they did they translocated these wolves to improve the genetic diversity so, yeah, I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that, Karen?
0: You know, I think it's a good thing that they brought those wolves in. And I guess since they have done that, since 2018 and 19, at least five litters of pups have been born on the island. So five years before that, there were only two wolves left. And the and the future of the wolf population looked really bleak. So now, you know, the population is rebounding. It seems to be thriving the researchers say that the wolves appear to be living in two packs. One is on the island's western region and the other is in the east.
1: And there is another reason why it's a good thing to have wolves on the island. You you might think, well, you know, if there were no wolves, then the moose would be fine. The problem with that is when the wolf population gets low or just disappears, what happens is the moose overgraze their food source on the island. And... Even without the wolves, then they have this boom and bust cycle where they overgraze all the the food, then it can't support the moose population, and then they start dying of starvation until their populations get down to a point where the vegetation will support them. And so the wolves actually act as a buffer for that and can keep the moose population kind of at the the right size.
0: Yeah, and we learned on our visit, and we thought this was interesting, that the wolves do target the old and the sick moose. And when we read that a typical moose that a wolf kills suffers from arthritis, osteoporosis, and periodontal disease, I think you started to worry a little bit. Y-
1: yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that was a description of the moose or... <laughs> you, you, you. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little close to home. I think.
0: is we were going to go hiking in the wilderness the next day. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I, th- I think I'm going to have to have a little bit better posture. I don't want to show any signs of joint pain. Right. My teeth are fine. Yeah, that's good. The dentist said my teeth are perfectly fine. So so I got that going for me.
0: Okay, no periodontal disease no, going on
1: no, there. I'm not here. No, okay,
0: good. But um, unfortunately, even though the wolf population is doing well the moose population seems to be struggling their population is down 28 percent and this can be attributed to not just the wolves but because the summers have gotten hotter In the winter, now there are more blood sucking winter ticks that have been unfortunately plaguing these moose. And and this was really shocking to me. An individual moose can acquire up to 20,000 ticks or more in a single year. And the blood loss due to the infestation can cause anemia and malnutrition. And the parasites can also reduce the chances of the female successfully raising their calves. And reduce the chances of the adult moose surviving throughout the winter. So the ticks there, I guess, in the winter are a huge plague on these poor moose.
1: Yeah, it's tough being a moose on Isle Mm -hmm. Royale.
0: It is. Uh, One more really interesting thing. Researchers began studying the wolves and the moose and their interactions back in 1950. 58. So more than 60 years of data. And there's a website, we'll put the link in our show notes, where you can see some of their studies and year by year and the populations. And uh, it's just fascinating what they have found in the last 60 years about the relationship between these two.
1: Yeah, so that's that's kind of an overview of two of the, what, what'd you call them, the most the famous animals on <laughs> the right. island? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the iconic animals. Unfortunately, on Archer, we did not see a wolf or a moose.
1: We didn't. We didn't see either. No,
0: no. no. I was, that was kind of disappointing. I,
1: I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. We yeah. Were,
0: all right, so moving from Animal Planet, let's talk about where to stay on the island. The only Lodge, which is Rock Harbor Lodge, open from June 6th through September 8th.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of room options. you got the Lakeside Lodge rooms. Those are just standard rooms and suites, kind of like motel-type t- rooms. There's 60 of those available. They have private baths. They have um, views of Lake Superior. So you got that. You also have housekeeping rooms which are located on Tobin Harbor, which is an eighth of a mile walk from the Lakeside Lodge area. And that's where we stayed Yeah. And I remember that being nice. We had our own little cabin.
0: It's like a duplex cottage. Now, each of of these accommodates six people. So it's good if you have a bigger crowd or if you bring your family. There's a little kitchenette. There is a double bed and two sets of bunk beds. And they also have in the kitchenette, they have some cooking utensils and, and plates and stuff like that. I remember the one thing that kind of bothered me about this, though, was that There are big windows that overlook the lake, overlook Tobin Harbor, but none of the windows would open, and also there was no place to sit outside. There was no deck, there was no porch, there were no chairs. So it was kind of strange. You're in this beautiful place with a beautiful view, and we were inside looking out.
1: Yeah, so so I liked it, and (laughs) you have, obviously, grievances to air. That's
0: my review. (laughs) Yeah. I would say that if it's just two of you going, one or two people... I would probably stay in the Lakeside Lodge in one of those hotel rooms. You know, we didn't need a place as big as the housekeeping cabins. And I think it's just, it would probably would have been more convenient if we had stayed in the lodge.
1: Well, we didn't need utensils and dishware to cook up the two Snicker bars that we brought.
0: <laughs> right. <so. laughs>
1: So that was kind of wasted on us, but yeah.
0: Yeah, it is nice, though. If you want to cook your own meals and you bring stuff, you could certainly cook. You wouldn't have to eat in the, there is a dining room and the Greenstone Grill at the Lodge, which we, of course, ate every meal in.
1: (laughs) Also in that little area, there's a water taxi service, and it's so it can take you to different places on the island. They also offer canoes, kayaks, and motorboats to rent by the half day or full day. We did not do either of those.
0: No. And I wish we would have, although we were so inexperienced at the time that it probably wouldn't have been a good idea to set out on Lake Superior in a kayak, um, not having any experience at all. But for those of you who are used to um, being out on the water, then that would certainly be a wonderful option. We spent our time hiking.
1: One of the hikes we did was Scoville Point. It's a moderate 4.4 mile loop. That begins at Rock Harbor Lodge, and then it goes east to incredible views of the rocky outcropping at Scoville Point. Now, the trail, it winds back and forth through the forest and shoreline, so you kind of get a mix of scenery.
0: Yeah, I really liked that trail. Um, Another one that we did not do this one, but this is a very popular one, the Rock Harbor Trail. And this goes along the coast. Um, It's got beautiful views of Lake Superior and the island's rocky shoreline. Now, this whole trail is 20 miles out and back, but a lot of people just do part of it. Go for a mile or two and come back. But that, again, that goes um, along the coastline. So that would be a fun one to do.
1: Yeah, there's also the Tobin Harbor Trail. Uh, great views of Tobin Harbor and then the surrounding forests. It's a it's a moderate hike. It's about six miles out and back.
0: Yeah, that was a pretty one. We did that, and then we also did the Mount Franklin Trail. Mount Franklin is not really a mountain. It's a 1,000-foot-high rock bluff along the Greenstone Ridge. Now, that's a longer hike, about 10 miles round trip. It's got about 672 feet of elevation gain. And if I'm remembering right, Matt, that was at the very end, wasn't it, as we got up to the top of Mount Franklin? Right. Yeah, but some great views on that one as well. A great view of Canada and the north side of the island, now, there are about 165 miles of trails on the island, and a lot of these trails intersect with each other. So the best thing to do would be get a trail map, uh, decide how far you want to go, and of course, talk to a ranger and um, you know, get their advice about what would be best for what you're looking for when you're there.
1: Right. And of course, there's a visitor center on either end of the island, so you could talk to rangers in, in both those places. Right. All right, Karen, what about camping and backpacking?
0: Yeah, that is a very popular thing to do for folks visiting Isle Royale. So there are 36 campgrounds on the island, and they're only accessible by foot or by boat. So all of them offer tent sites, a water source, and outhouses. Um, And some of them that are on Lake Lake Superior also have shelters and and picnic tables.
1: Yeah, so for parties of six or fewer, the campgrounds are on a first-come, first-served basis. So you can't reserve those. However... For parties of seven or more, then you need to make a group reservation.
0: Right. So the popular thing for people to do is to backpack from one campground to another, and they usually travel six to eight miles per day. Like we said before, a lot of people either get dropped off in Wendigo and they go to Rock Harbor and pick up the boat, or they do it in reverse. That's a very popular thing to do. Just know... Permits are required, regardless of how many people in your group, for all overnight stays at the campgrounds, at cross-country sites, at docks, or if you're anchoring your boat. And your permit does not reserve a campground. It's just a permit. But you can pick up these permits at either of the visitor centers.
1: Yeah, and so if you're planning to backpack across the island, then you're probably going to want to hike the Greenstone Riggs Trail. And this is a 40-mile trek that goes all the way across the island. It typically takes four to five days to hike the whole thing. And it goes between Windigo and Rock Harbor.
0: Yeah. Do you think that would be fun to do? No. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even want to think about that for a second. Well, I'm still, <laughs> s- still stuck on the blood-sucking ticks. Okay, that's in the winter. <laughs> okay, but where are they in the summertime? I don't
1: know, maybe maybe they're dormant in the summer.
0: All right, now, one thing that uh, is fun to do, we always like to do, is to attend the Evening Ranger program, and they have this at Rock Harbor. Uh, now, when we were there, they had made the announcement earlier in the day that the topic was going to be about wolves on the island, and so we were really excited to go to this presentation.
1: We were Very excited to learn about the wolves. We got there early. We got a seat right in the middle of the set of chairs there that they had all lined up. However, when the time came for the ranger to give his talk, he introduced himself and said, I know you all came here to hear about the wolves, but we have a slight change of plans. I'm going to talk about the history of mining on the island instead. (laughs) And (laughs) that's when we realized that we had a made a strategic error in sitting right in the middle of (laughs) the group of chairs because there was no way out. I kept looking at the door like, how do we get out of here? We didn't want to be rude. No, no. Just get up and walk out. So we learned about the history of mining.
0: We did. And I think everyone else there felt the same way. It was crowded. I mean, the place was full. And when he said, change of plans, it's about the history of mining, you could see everyone's eyes looking towards the back door and judging like, would it be rude if I just got up and left at this point?
1: <laughs> I think they do that on purpose. I think maybe they, they do. It's the only way they can get people to no, I shouldn't say that. No. Like I don't know. Maybe some people like the history of mining.
0: Well, see, I appreciated it because it was it was a history <laughs> channel. You I, you were I loved looking it. At the
1: door, <laughs> <laughs> you would have escaped and left me behind if that was an option for you. In
0: a second, <laughs> yes. Anyway, check out the Evening Ranger programs because they're, you know, they're always talking about something interesting.
1: Well, Karen, you know, another thing you can do on the island is the MV Sandy tours.
0: Yes, the MV Sandy is a boat. And these are ranger-led tours. Now, you can get tickets and information at the Rock Harbor Lodge office. And these tours run from early June, and they end in early September. I think they have different, uh, little different tours that go out a few miles on the water to some to some destinations. So that would be a fun thing to do.
1: Yeah, I didn't even know about that when we were there. I, 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 I would have liked to go on the MV Sandy. Yeah,
0: I'm not sure that they had that when we were there. I don't know. We missed it somehow. But I think that's... That would definitely be a fun thing to do so take a look at that when you're there and see where where they're headed and if you can get tickets to go
1: what does mv stand for
0: i don't know do you know
1: i think it's motorized vessel Oh, okay yeah right. i think
0: <laughs> we'll fact check that <laughs> yeah all right okay a couple of notes For your trip, cell phone service is not reliable on Isle Royale, and they also do not have Wi-Fi in the park. So this is a true getaway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You have to be able to entertain yourself. That's right. (laughs) All right, Karen, when's the best time to go?
0: You know, so so it's a small window to go, right? June through September. We went in late August, and we did not have trouble with the bugs, like we have heard a lot of people do who go in June and July.
1: Yeah, the bugs weren't weren't too bad when we were there. They've got uh, mosquitoes and black flies. They seem to come out in late May and, and June. They kind of get pretty bad, I hear in June and July, but the insects are usually much better or fewer. In late August and September.
0: Right. And that's important to us. So if it's important to you, just note that. Otherwise, you know, you might want to pack in your snack bag, bring some bring some bug spray and maybe a head net. (laughs) Yeah. One thing I wanted to note that I thought this was really interesting. You cannot bring your pet. You know, a lot of the national parks, you can't have your pet, your dog on the trail, but you can bring your pet. But this this island park, you cannot even bring your pet. And you know why, Matt?
1: No, I have no idea.
0: Well, because their concern, obviously, is for the protection of the wildlife. And here's what happened. In 1980, somebody brought their dog brought their pet dog and that dog transmitted the canine parvo virus and infected the wolf population and the wolves on isle royal went from a population of 50 down to 14 because of this canine virus that somebody's pet dog brought so
1: what about a cat can you bring a cat
0: (laughs) you can't bring any pet not a bird not Not a a lizard nothing
1: what about a service dog?
0: Oh, yes. Service dogs are welcome on Isle Royal, but you have to get a service dog permit before your trip. And one more thing. The park boundary actually extends four miles into Lake Superior, so you can't even dock your boat with your dog on board. Or, so, cat. or cat. Or cat or anybody. Yeah. So anyway, just heads up on that. Okay, got it. Yeah.
1: We don't have any pets, but we might get one. We might. Yeah.
0: But we won't be taking it to We're Isle Royal. We're not
1: going to take it to Isle Royale. Right. No. All
0: right. All right.
1: All right, finally, Karen, how yep. many days would you suggest somebody visit this park?
0: Those day trips are a nice option if you if you just don't have the time. But I think to really see the island and experience it, you, you've got to have a couple of days there. And it is going to depend on your ferry schedule. I think that Ranger 3... I think it only runs two or three times a week. So if that's what you're doing, then obviously you have to stay until the boat comes back to get that's, you. That's right. So take a look at the ferry schedules. You know, it took us all day to get there and then we had two full days and then the fourth day was all day to get back. I thought that was actually a good time frame. What did you think?
1: I think it was good for us. I know some people like the, the backpacking across the island Then obviously it's going to take you four or five days to get across the island and then you got to add the the boat trips there and back so i mean that's that trip's going to take a week
0: right right and i think this park trip is such a unique experience i mean how many times are you taking a ferry across lake superior to an island probably one of the more unique parks and and for sure one of the least visited and most remote that's right so that's all for Isle Royale. We are currently working on another episode that listeners have been asking for, and that one is Great Smoky Mountains National Park.
1: And we just celebrated our third anniversary of this podcast, Karen. Did you ever think we would be doing this like three years in?
0: I honestly thought that we'd do it for about a year or two, and then we would have said everything there is to say. But... It seems that we just keep talking and talking. <laughs> how, yeah. many, how many episodes do we well, have we're, now? We're
1: over 100. Yeah, yeah, this one's 107. Wow. Yeah, and we have a couple of unnumbered episodes out there. So yeah, mm-hmm. we're we're well over 100. Yeah. Yeah. So if any listeners out there have suggestions about future episode topics or questions for our mailbag episodes, just email those to us at mattandkarensmith at gmail.com.
0: That's right, we love to get mail.